Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. I remember being a kid. I can see that happening. That's oh, always something, something to do. The Unlaced. Unlaced podcast. It's actually not bad. <laughs> and we're live. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode. First off, just want to thank everyone that tuned into the last episode with Nathan Coe. Obviously, that was one of the most profound football stories that I've come across and, and heard of. Um, such a great guy that his, his career getting cut short was, was obviously quite sad. But listening to him talk about it was actually quite remarkable. Um, how he felt ready about it. As I did say in the early episodes, we are going to be doing episodes across a bunch of athletes across the W League, Matildas, A League, Socceroos, uh, which we which we're definitely doing. But even some of the most profound football stories, and I think we've got probably one of the most profound I think I've ever come come across in my life in Rebecca Stotts. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. No, my pleasure. How you how you going anyway? Yeah, I'm going all right. Um, yeah. Getting back to normal. Got round one out the way. We did, thank you. Three points. That's the main thing. We got that, but it was not a good performance. That's <laughs> okay. That's the sign of a good team, though. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There's a belter of a goal, whoever scored that. Mm-hmm. The, the right foot cutting. Yeah, young gun, she oh. is. Um, yeah, so how's it, how's it been being back on the grass? Like, how's it, obviously, quite long pre-seasons, as we've touched on this show before, but it must be good just to be able to play some games and, and for you in general, just to be back out there kicking football again. Yeah, I think it's amazing just to be out uh, with the girls back in the football field. Um, it's something I set my mind to, um, and to be back on the field is, is so nice. It's, it's my happy place. It's yeah. where I love to be. So, yeah, it's amazing. Do you just forget, like, everything that's possible off the field when you're on there you kind of have to be present don't you yeah definitely yeah it's just I don't know it's just a great feeling yeah we were talking about before before we jumped on there how you're a number six now <laughs> so I feel like you have to be present in that position of all because especially when you're playing for Rado um that's obviously a pivotal position in regards to starting play how have you found that because you're obviously naturally usually a defender yeah it's so different um being the center back you literally just have to look forward um, <laughs> yeah. um, so being being as a six you have to look all around you um always be aware of where you are and where others are yeah. so it's it's very different but i'm i'm gonna grow into that position and hopefully um i can grow quick yeah definitely definitely so is that the first time you've played it or is, have you played it before and this has kind of become more permanent now um i haven't played it like in a professional environment. Okay. I played when I was younger a little bit, but okay. I like to drive out when I'm a centre-back, so I am comfortable going up the field. So hopefully, um, yeah, I can do all right there. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you've lived a hell of a life for a 28-year-old, like in honest, in all honesty, it's amazing. And, and we're going to go into your inspiring story, which some of the listeners may be aware of, some may, may not be, but I'm definitely grateful for your, obviously, candidness and vulnerability to be able to share it. But before I go into that, like, you've actually had an incredible football career. Like, <laughs> you, I feel like you've achieved everything at quite a young age in, in the women's game, which is, um, you know, in, insane. And you've done so much, as I said. So I'm, I'm keen to understand what really grew your love and affection to football and, and when you sort of realised that was the, the path that you wanted to go down. Yeah, um, I had four brothers growing up, obviously. So um, 
That's why naturally, you're a centre back. Yeah. You know how to tackle and hurt people because oh, yeah, you had definitely. to. <laughs> but naturally, I just went in and played soccer with them, and I just loved it. Um, and then kept playing, and I I never had a doubt that that's what I was going to do with my life. Um, really? Yeah. So I mean, I just kept going, kept going, and then once it actually became a career option, I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I actually went to uni for two days, and what? I was like, no, this is not. Yeah. For me. <laughs> what were you going to study? Sport and industry. Oh. Okay. And I was like, nah. I'm going. I'm going to play pro. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a f- like uni. Don't yeah. get me wrong. We're not trying to say don't go to uni, but it's it's, it's a not different. For everyone. It's a different world. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you go to the University of Football, it's very hard to understand you know normal things outside of like education and stuff like that because it is a little bit different. Yeah, like you're so used to kicking a ball, which is uh-huh. pretty cool. Yeah, and I I wasn't really interested in school and. Uni. No, <laughs> not your thing. Nah, <laughs> not at all. Well, if you if you didn't play football, what did you have any idea what you would have done or no? Not so much. Um, I still don't think I would have gone to university. Yeah. I think I would have found something else. Yeah. Um, but probably not through study. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just maybe you're an entrepreneur. Then you just create your own path. Yeah, I'd like to think that. I've actually got some some stuff we're going to talk about that probably represents that. But um, you you were born in New Zealand. Yeah. But I've also noticed that you spent time playing for the youth teams in Australia before you obviously made the decision to represent uh, the New Zealand national team. Yeah. So how did that sort of journey happen? How was it growing up in New Zealand, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I loved it. Um, it was it was so cool. I had such a good childhood growing up in New Zealand, always playing outside with my brothers, and it was cool. And then my parents went for a holiday uh, to the sunny coast and visited dad's brother, I think. And they came back and they're like, we're moving. I was like, what? No, <laughs> I don't want to go. How old were you at this one? I was 11. 11, okay. And like, you know, we're big rugby supporters there. Huge. So I hated the Wallabies and I was like, I don't want to move to Australia. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, we moved over here and, and I loved it. It was great. And there's probably a lot more opportunities here than yeah. back home in New Zealand. Um but then, yeah, I kept training, kept playing and got selected in the under-17, under-20 teams and then um, jumped the ditch. Crossed back over. Yeah. don't know how I feel about it. No, but in all honesty, actually what you've achieved with the football fans is unbelievable as well. Um, you were, were you, Did you move to Brisbane when you came here? Is that where you started yeah. in, in Australia, your family? Yeah, we went to the sunny coast. Oh, the sunny coast. Yeah, wow. always so by the beach. Not a bad spot <laughs> to start in the country, I might say. Yeah, uh, uh, it was beautiful. Because you were part of the A-League or would have been the W-League at the time, now the A-League, not long after its inception from, from the female aspect. What what were those early days like, I guess, back then when it was sort of all starting out? Because I think you might have come in season two or three maybe. Yeah, um, I was very young then. I first was under Jeff at Brisbane Raw um, and that was a great uh, season. I was like a train-on kind of. Yeah. Um, but... That team, Brisbane, they were full of Matildas. Did, did they? They won silverware, uh, yeah. I think, that year, right? Yeah, won, won the season, which was great. Um, but, yeah, I, I got so much experience from that and it was great. And then I decided to move down to Melbourne and play for Melbourne Victory. Yeah. Um, and that was so cool. I started playing and um, it was it was really cool. And, I mean, I remember thinking, damn, I get 100 bucks for this. <laughs> like, oh, I've made it. And now I like to see how far it's come. Like, it's it's incredible. Were, were, the, were you guys playing in, like, some of the main grounds back then, early doors? It was a lot more sort of suburban and rural grounds. Like, how did that work for... Um, it was on and off. On and off, There yeah, were a depending. few, like, really rural and just... Yeah, little stadiums, and then there could be some bigger ones. Yeah, but, okay. um, 
it has definitely come a long way. Who was the coach at Victory at the time or, or the people around there that got, got you break? Because I feel like that was where you established yourself yeah. as a professional footballer. Um, it was Vicky Linton. Oh, okay. It's nice. actually crazy because, like, I was I was under Jeff Hopkins at Brisbane, Vicky Linton, so everyone's still yeah still around. Making, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Um, and Mike Mulvey when he oh, was yeah. here. Oh wow, Mike was like one of the best coaches I ever had. Oh, I loved him. He, he was, was he's he was unreal. Insane. Yeah. yeah, he was my um. He actually gave me my debut in the A League. Wow, yeah, there you go. Crazy yeah, small world. Small world. <laughs> yeah, he's a remarkable remarkable coach. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most notable things was, I guess, your move to Melbourne City in 2015 like I feel Mm -hmm. like that was a huge move for you at the time but also if you look back and the success and the quality of teams that have happened there like that's been probably one of the best decisions you've made um how did that originate um I was at the World Cup in Canada 2015 and I was I'm good friends with Steph Catley and she was like oh Joe wants to talk to you he's a new coach of Melbourne City um, so I was like, oh, I'll jump on a call. And he pretty much just sold it to me. He said, the club, like, it's going to be amazing. And he's like, do you want to come? And I was like, yep, sign me up. Wow. Um, and, I mean, that season, I'll never forget that season. We had some of the best players in the world, Kim Little, uh, Jess Fishlock, Jen Beattie. Like, we were incredible. Yeah, it's a scary team photo to look at. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Very scary. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like working with the famous Joe Montemuro? Obviously, his success overseas has now kind of got him more attention, but a lot of people domestically knew how good he was. What was it like playing for him? I loved it. Um, I think him as a coach, he understands the importance of players being happy. Yeah. Um, I think that's so key. And when you're under him, he he lets you enjoy it. He he makes sure that everyone in the team is happy. And I think that showed on the field, like the way we play. Now, we're pretty lucky. Um, this is our third episode. So, again, thank you for coming on. But our first episode guest was Scott Jamison, and you're our third guest. And we've had now both the uh, leading appearance getters for Melbourne City across male and female. This is why I said it was like such a you know a great move for you because you've obviously stayed there for so long and played so mm-hmm. many games. Like It's pretty, pretty insane for you, don't you think, like to yeah. be able to say that? I mean the club the club's been amazing to me. I've been there I think this is my sixth season and four premierships oh not premiership championships in that. Um and yeah, I think the way they treat us has really raised the standard for all the teams in the league. Yeah. Um so I'm so happy to be there and, and honored to have that record. Honestly. And and have you enjoyed being at the new training grounds? Jamo kinda gave us a bit of an insight and <laughs> what did he say about it? He said it was amazing. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> he said that was obviously different from Latrobe, with a bit of a travel, but I yeah. think it's... It is far away, but I think once it's completed, it will be amazing. Yeah, the plans for yeah. it sound crazy. Yeah. Hopefully that's like a benchmark for the other clubs to follow. Mm-hmm. I feel like it will be. Yeah, I really hope so. Yeah. Um, one of the things is uh, I was going to talk about, you kind of mentioned it there, but if I was a betting man, I'd be looking at what team Rebecca Stott's in in regards to the A-League because I think you've won like five premierships and two championships across your career, which... We think back to when you started in 2010 or 11 to now 2021. Like you've pretty much been a part of Silver almost every season. So one thing for me, um, obviously a lot of people talk about having good players is important, but how much is it having like a good culture and a good coach to complement that? I think it's huge. Um, Having a good culture is everything. If if your team's not happy, it shows on the field. Um, So I think Rado does a great job at that really – making sure that we're a together team. Yeah. Um, like this year, 
we don't have stars like we did a couple of years ago with all the Matildas and everyone, but we have a really good young talented squad. Yeah. And um the way we train, it includes everyone so that right. we're a team. Um okay. so I mean, I hope it's successful this year. Definitely. Um, well, odds are saying that they pr- it probably will be. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're a bit of the underdog this yeah, year, to well, be honest. Well, you got up, as I said, it was a great win. Ugly, but great win on the weekend. So yeah. um, hopefully that'll keep going. I think another massive moment for you, and, and I was joking with you off air, I'm like, Stott's almost like achieved everything in a game. But a couple of big moments for you were being a part of like global major tournaments, the Olympics, and obviously the World Cup you touched on. Can you give us some insight in, into what it's like being at those tournaments, obviously on a world stage representing your country, like a high-pressured environment in yep. some regards as well? I think that's what we play for, to be at those major events. And, I mean, those are the highlights of my careers, like going to the Olympics and, and playing in the World Cup. Like there's no better tournament. There's yeah. no better feeling. Um, so I, I just remember 2015 when I scored a goal at the World Cup. I um, think... Whatever happens in my life, I've got that title. I can say, well, I scored a goal at the World Cup, you know? Uh, people have to look at that goal, by the way, as well. Like oh, yeah, it, yeah it's it's because you're technically a defender oh, and you exactly. scored a, scored a, a, on the half volley on a tight angle. And yeah. I'm like, that's some technique there. So yeah. that's maybe why you're playing as a six now. Oh, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what was that? What was the 2015 World Cup like? Because you, you cool. played almost every, every game, every minute, I think, for yeah. uh, the Kiwis um, at the time. It was really hard. We we played some really good football mm. and then we had to win that last game against China and um, we drew two all. Mm. There was a bit of controversy in the game. <laughs> um, still a bit of bad blood there. I, I mean, if there was VAR back then, we probably would have won. <laughs> oh, so really? it's like, ah, oh, okay. it's frustrating. But um, it was such a good experience. And yeah. no, I, I love going to those tournaments. It's, yeah. That's it, the reason. It, it's such what we've obviously got the World Cup in, in Australia next year. I mean, and New Zealand. Yeah, and New Zealand, of course. <laughs> there's actually quite a lot of games being in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. When I was looking at the games of like where that are going to be held, there's quite a lot there. So you guys are going to be expecting like full pack crowds there. Is that going to be pretty <sighs> awesome? That's what we're hoping for. Yeah. Um, there's there's a few major tournaments happening for women's sport in New Zealand that year. So I'm really hoping that the... the um, Country gets behind it. Yeah, is that? Would you say that's almost like a bit of a bucket list thing for like a footballer to put, like? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's pretty yeah. surreal to be able to say that you played at a World Cup in your oh. on your home soil. Yeah, I mean, when when we it was announced that we had won it, I was so over the moon. Like, it's it's just amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I never thought that I would be playing at a World Cup. On I, home I soil. never thought I'd be able to watch a World Cup like for a long time in my life in like my country as well. Yeah. Like it's pretty, it's pretty insane. surreal. Absolutely insane. Did you also, that the following year after the 2015 World Cup was Rio. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? Because when I thought of like Rio and football, I'm like, people are just going to go watch the football. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like track and field's one thing, but like it's, we're in the heart of football. Mm-hmm. How was that whole experience over there? Yeah. Um, it was... It was a bit different for me. I was coming back from an injury. And okay. so it was very... Touch and go. Yes. <laughs> like I literally had hardly trained, hardly played. I think I'd played 60 minutes before the first game. Okay. And I was on a lot of drugs. Like, <laughs> just, Trying to get through. Yeah. Um, but like it was very different, but it was still such an amazing atmosphere and yeah. experience. Like it was, it was really cool. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, you've played. We talked on obviously your success domestically, but you've you've played in quite a lot of countries abroad as well. 
one thing I'm always interested in is like, especially when you go to like other countries where football's obviously different in each place and the styles and, and all of that, but the language barriers as well. Like how did you find playing abroad in, in the various countries that you had? Man, if you've been using the same trimmer for your face and your balls, that's wrong. That's not what we should be doing. That's not safe. And if your partner or girlfriend or or partner, you know, your mister knew that was going on, that's not good for you either. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped, the Lawn Mower 4.0. It's beautiful, it's precision, it's the Ferrari of all tools to trim downstairs. The best part is actually, is also the ball deodorant. Now this thing's like a little bit of cream that you rub down there that makes it smooth as a baby's bottom, as my producer Pete would say. And the smell's actually really good too. So they kind of go hand in hand together. I feel like you can't have one without the other. If you're like me and you've got quite a bit of Manscaped product, I get the toiletry bag too. It's pretty cool. can take it with me everywhere. And I also have got my Mans- Manscaped jocks. As I said, Unlaced is the discount code. Get on manscaped.com in your checkout basket. Put that in and you get free shipping worldwide. Let's get back to the episode. I love it. Um, I love embracing the cultures of the countries that I go to. Uh, I was in Germany for two years and I eventually went to German like language school. Can you speak any German now? Yeah, I speak Deutsch. Wow, ich heiße Jake. Oh, ich heiße Stotty. Oh, there you go. No, so it's cool. Um, I love, yeah, really experiencing it. Yeah. Um, so I, I try and make the most out of where I am living. Yeah, because where else you played? Was it America? Was it Norway yeah. as well? Norway and England now. Time in the UK too. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Uh-huh. Um, I think um, I just want to acknowledge the next phase of this conversation has probably already been well documented, but, um, I'm really, I'm really keen to, I guess, go back to the period in your life where I guess things started to take a little bit of a turn and you obviously, were you in uh, playing domestically when you first sort of realized something was, was, was going on with your neck or what was that sort of like? It was actually last year in the lockdown. In the lockdown. Um, Okay. Were you, were you in Oz or were you back home or were you? Yes, I was in Melbourne. Okay. Um, it was after the season, so I think around June or something, and I felt a little bit of a lump on my neck. It was tiny, yeah. And I had been doing like home workouts and like just trying to stay fit, yeah. Um, and yeah, I was like, oh, maybe I pulled a muscle or something. But yeah. um, so I went and got a biopsy, and he said it like it doesn't look bad. They're not really sure what it is, but um, it it seems fine. Just keep an eye on it. And then I head o- headed over to England. Oh, so at that time, like you had presumed, and even the medical advice was like, it's inconclusive. Mm-hmm. So you could go over, because yeah. it was to Brighton you went to, which, yeah. which is a massive club as well, by the way. Yeah, that would have been that would have been awesome like yeah. to play in the UK. That's why it's been a bucket list of mine I've ever achieved. So yeah. kudos to you. Oh, <laughs> it was so amazing while I was there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when you were over there, did you start to realise, obviously, it was more serious or? Yeah, I mean, it... it grew and it was it got to the point where it was pretty big it was on this side of my neck and under my collarbone so it was like okay like something's really not right here and then um so I went to see the doctor there and she was like we need to get a biopsy and um and then that started the long process of really trying to figure out what it was yeah okay did you have like an instinct at all through that period of what it might be or were you just kind of like going with the flow not reading into it overly, but like obviously maybe probably a little bit worried at the same time, I imagine. Yeah, I was trying not to read into it too much. Um, I definitely had Googled and tried to figure it out because, yeah. I mean, you're just sitting there waiting to try and figure out what is going on, but yeah. you have no idea. Um, but I didn't think it would be cancer. Um, mm. But then I think the first time where I was like, oh, 
crap like it actually could be was when I had my biopsy in England and I was like I asked the nurse I was like oh what what do you think it could be and she's like oh I think it could be lymphoma and I was sitting there and I actually didn't know that that was cancer weird really (laughs) that's terrible but I went outside to the car park and I like googled and I was like oh whoa like that's serious I could be in trouble here yeah um and then I guess that took another two three months to actually figure out that like come to the conclusion that like it to is be definitive that, yeah. it, that it was cancer. Yeah. So I think that was like the most frustrating part for me. Wow. So yeah. you spent quite a bit of time obviously away from home through that period, obviously going through that journey and kind of being aware that it could be something serious until it got to a point where it was like definitive that, Hey, you've mm-hmm. got, you've got, was it stage three? Yeah. Hodgkin's lymphoma at the time. Yeah. 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 Was, that's pretty full on. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, I mean, I had the support of my team and my friends around me. Um, so I think that made it a lot easier. Um, I was also in contact with the doctor from Melbourne City. So he he had known about it the whole time, yeah. um, which also made it um, easier for me, I think. And he was able to set up things here for as soon as I got home. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a hard time. So prior to that happening, I take it that you still were physically capable of doing most things because you obviously left Australia with the lump on your neck and you went there and you played some games over in the UK until it got to the point. So were mm. you able to still play like fine? You didn't the, really, yeah. you didn't change your energy levels That's or anything That's the like weird that. thing. I felt physically fine. The Literally the only thing was the lump on my neck. Yeah. I could do everything and um, I didn't feel fatigued. I, f- I just felt normal. Yeah, okay. So what point did you realise that, you know, it's time to maybe move away from Brighton to come home to get, like, proper care and treatment? Yeah. Um. So I had got the um, the biopsy. Yeah. That was inconclusive. Then I had to wait again for another month. And then I got it surgically, a tissue taken out of it for them to send off to get tested. Um, and then I think it was two weeks after that, <coughs> they called me and said, uh... We think it's lymphoma. We're not 100% sure yet. Um, and I was like, wait, that's, what? That's a hard thing. You can't just you tell can't, me you think yeah, it I is. I completely agree with so you on that. It was hard. We um, need to have a word to that doc. Like, if you're going to make those phone calls, I make know. it black and white. Yeah. <laughs> and so I called up someone else. I was like, look, I need to know, like, if it is bad, I need to go home. Yeah, um, of course. And so one doctor was like, well, it. we're pretty sure it is. We're just trying to figure out what stage and what type. And so when I heard that, I was like, okay, let's go. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, it was really hard to get home then because of flights with of COVID. Course. So what, what period was this at? Like what month in the, if you could take us on the time scale? This was January, January uh, February. Of the 2021? Yeah. Right, okay. So yeah. were we in lockdowns? Was was the world crazy at that point? Or was it kind of easy to get out of the UK, hard no. to get into Australia? Uh, hard to get into Australia. Okay. I think that's the issue. Yeah. Because the borders were closed, technically. Um, But there's a lot of good Facebook groups out there of people trying to get home. Um, There's lots of good travel agents out there on those pages, and um, I reached out to a few of them, and they were able to get me on a flight home literally the next day. So it was literally like 24 hours, and I had to pack up my whole apartment and get to the airport. My God. So how was how was Brighton with you in that period? I can imagine obviously they would have been supportive, but at the same time they're losing a, probably a key player of their team too, so they've been like oh shit. Yeah. Uh they were supportive. They were they were good. Um I think it was probably November and the coach came up to me and I was set to play against Arsenal, I think it was, and she's like 
like, are you okay to play? Mm. Knowing that I might have cancer. I yeah. might not. Like, she was like, mentally, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine. Like, Really? So while that, that was going, ment- was that maybe because that felt like a bit of a release for you from maybe the stress of what was potentially happening? Or? Yeah. And I think, like, physically I felt fine. So I was like, well, I want to play while I can, you know? I don't want to yeah. just not play. And And mentally I was fine. Yes, it was stressful, but I was okay. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, um, so for me, that that's like your whole story is inspiring. And we've, there's a few more layers to go into this, but like I can imagine your teammates if you're playing with like a lump on your neck. <laughs> like so the reason why I say this, I played in the Ollie Roos with uh, Dylan Tombides, who mm-hmm. passed away with testis- uh, testicular cancer. Yeah. And we were playing in Oman, and I remember he ca- he he was kind of I don't know if he was going through chemotherapy at the time or coming into remission or something of that nature, but he obviously had lost all his hair. Mm-hmm. You could tell there was something not quite right with him. He'd lost a lot of weight. Yeah. But we played one of the teams. We were winning 1-0. And he came on in the 60th minute and it was like hot, yeah. so hot. And I just remember him running 40 metres to press like two defenders. They played it back to the keeper and we all stayed back because we're dead. And he was just chasing down the keeper and I'm like, oh, my God. Jeez. Like, what am I doing? That's I, I must can imagine maybe some of your teammates were like, well, if she's, if she's going for tackles, like, I better go in for him as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, I think because it wasn't like a definite, I didn't have the answer then. Yeah. Um, I guess it kind of went on as normal. It, but, um, yeah, I mean, that sounds incredible. It, well, yeah, it stays, stayed with me to this day, yeah. God rest his yeah. soul, because I was like, Jeez. well, what am I, what can I complain about now? Mm-hmm. You know? But, um. Mm-hmm. What, at what point did, like, was it when you were coming home that, like, football became, like, almost really small and really irrelevant and that perspective of the world just kind of diminished of, like, that's not the most important thing anymore? Yeah. I think it was when I got that call saying it's probably cancer. Yeah. Um, I think that's when it was like, all right, football can just sit <laughs> yeah. here for a second. I'm just yeah. going to go figure it out myself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was like, let's get better. Let's let's find a cure and let's get yeah. Has, has it now, obviously you're on the other side, which is mm-hmm. unbelievable to see, but is, is that, has it changed your perspective on football at all? Like in a sense of like... Not really, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think I, like, I enjoy my life. Yeah. I, I do whatever I want really. Like I'm not, not going to do something because mm. I don't know, of, of some reason. Yeah. And so I... I don't think that's like really changed a lot. Yeah. Um, it is nice and amazing <coughs> to be back on the field, but I, I can't really say like it's changed. Yeah. Was the um was there ever a point where now I imagine there may have been, but just to get get it from you, was there ever a point where you thought maybe like you won't go back on the football field? Or were you always kind of in your mind like I'm going to get back? Oh, I was always like I'm going to get back. I yeah. think when I started training, like, the first two weeks, and I was just <laughs> so cooked, I was like, oh, should I just retire? <laughs> just say, oh, not too hard. Yeah. Um, but, no, like, it it has been hard, like, trying to get back to fitness and not trying to pull every calf yeah, every I can session. Imagine. Um, but, but, no, it's, it's so amazing. So how long was the time from, obviously, when you stopped to when you stepped back on the grass? What was the sort of time frame? Um... I think my last game was in November or December. I can't remember. Um, it's it's almost a year, to be honest. Mm. Just under a year. Okay. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Like, it's remarkable in, in that sense. Yeah, so. and, like, I think back on what I went through and, ha- like, me at my lowest, and I'm like, wow, 
It yeah. actually wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And I've made a lot of progress. Does that give you like some perspective on life in itself, I guess? Yeah. It's like crazy. We spoke about it off air. It was like, how cool is it to say you've beaten cancer? Yeah. Like, like what can anyone, no one can, no one can top that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's really remarkable. And I'll claim it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to, I wanted to read something to you that um, your coach Rado had said about you. And I've got a feeling you know this, but just potentially our, our listeners won't know this. And this was coming into... It might have been like the preseason or, or even the first game. And it was a, a journalist that actually turned up to a press conference. And I think it might have been due to COVID restrictions. He was the only one there with Rado. So they had like a bit more of an in-depth mm-hmm. discussion, if you could say, rather than like a journalist to coach interview. Um, but like, obviously, we both know the Vitasiches quite well. And he, he one, of the, one of the quotes he said from that interview to me, I just wanted to read to you because I'm not, I'm not sure if you heard it. Have you heard it? I think I have. Okay. Um, so he he said to a, a question, he goes, Rebecca Stott, that is the highlight of my coaching career. I've had 36 undefeated games with Brisbane Raw. I've worked with Ange Postacoglu, Del Piero. I've won the FFA Cup with Melbourne Victory and now here with City. I'm part of a fantastic organisation. But to be part of someone's life journey, to, to defeat the illness that she has had, to come back and to see her, how dedicated she is to the sport, to the women's game and how much of a following she has got and how much people adore her, I think for us that is the winning season. <laughs> it's pretty fucking cool. It is. It's really nice to hear that, and um, to have their support is is yeah, it's amazing. How is like how has it been with Rado throughout that period? Like, what's what's the I guess the coaching staff or the support staff of Melbourne City been like? Yeah, they've been really good. They've been really patient with me. Um, I think it's a very different situation to like having an injury or something. Um, and so, I mean. I'm a bit of a nightmare sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> In what sense? <laughs> yeah, just a bit lazy. Oh and, yeah, yeah, aren't um, we all? <laughs> yeah, but um, no, they they've taken the time and and really just worked with me to try and get me in the best shape to be able to play yeah how does it make you to feel you hear something like that yeah i mean that's special it's It's, pretty it's so nice he has done so much in the game Uh like rado as well he's Mm -hmm. so he's so uh i guess thought thought after in this country yeah um one of the things through that period as well i understand both fief pro and also the pfa were sort of supporting you through that process and probably had some engagements and contact with you. Like, are you able to shed some light on anything sort of there that was was maybe that, you know, they were there for you Mm -hmm. through that period would be interesting to hear? PFA were amazing. Yeah. Um, As soon as, I mean, even when I was still trying to figure out what it was, I was on the phone to PFA and they were helping me. They were like, whatever you need, we can do it. We can give you Disney Plus if you want. (laughs) Um, Shout out the PFA. That's awesome. Disney Plus. Yeah. No, (laughs) it was, it was so good. They helping with flights, helping with quarantine, um, anything I needed, they were there. So I was so lucky and so relieved that they were there to take a bit of pressure off me. Yeah. Cause I can imagine, especially in that period when you're in Brighton, my assumption is you didn't really have many of your close friends or family there as well. Yeah. Um, I still had like my team and Steph and Lids weren't too far away. Okay, so you had some sort I, of... I did have a, a bit of support there, um, but yeah, no, it was extremely helpful and... Definitely. Oh, I'm so lucky. Yeah, definitely. No, well, that, that's awesome. Disney Plus, though, I like that. That's mm. it. It's a good little catch. I didn't take them off on the other <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe should now. Yeah. <laughs> um, Fill the cards. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> one of the, obviously, one as I mentioned with Dylan, one of the side effects of chemotherapy is obviously the loss of hair. And I actually think this says a lot about your character, but you made a decision to 
I guess, run sort of a, a cause for a charity or do the world's greatest shave. Can you give us mm-hmm. some light on like what that was like, why why you sort of wanted to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a given. If if I was going to lose my hair, then of course I'm going to try and raise some money while I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was actually a little bit scared to to lose my hair and I photoshopped a really bad photo <laughs> of a bald head on mine and it looked atrocious and I think that kind of gave me a bit of a bad vibe about it all. Yeah. Um, but I made an event out of it. Um, my best friend Katie and, and her friend, uh, her girlfriend Kayla, yep. um, they organised an event and everyone had to wear wigs and wow. I didn't. So like everyone else looked weird and I didn't. So it was, it was really, it made me comfortable shaving my hair off. Um, and yeah, I mean, I didn't expect that night to be so emotional and so like just amazing, Yeah, but I had such a good feeling and it was just amazing surrounded by my friends and my family and yeah, it was, it was incredible. And to be able to raise almost $40,000 wow. for the Leukemia Foundation, like that was special. That's very special. Yeah. That's huge. It was insane. This is what, and this is what I want to talk about because, like, I think in those situations when obviously life sometimes throws things at you that you can't control, you'd think naturally that that person would be thinking about them and how they need to get better. But you constantly clearly showed signs where you're like still wanting to think of other people. And and one of the things, and this is when I come back to the entrepreneurial side of you, <laughs> was the the study bag, which is like when you talked about it, I was like. I would never have even thought of like something like that. But then obviously when you, when you described mm-hmm. like why it's relevant, I'm like, Oh my God, what a, what a thought, what an invention. So yeah. can you give some of the listeners some insight into, mm-hmm. I guess the study bag and, and yeah. I guess how that's going? Yeah. I mean, early days of my diagnosis um, and going to the hospital and having all this paperwork everywhere and carrying around this tote bag, I was like, no, I want to be comfortable. I want my special cancer bag. That doesn't look ugly. Um, <laughs> um, and so I designed one and I was like, you know what? People going through this crap time in their life deserve something nice and just to help them be organized and comfortable. Um, and so, yeah, I designed a bag and then I filled it with different things that helped me go through my treatment. Yeah. Um, so the idea is people can buy that for a loved one going through it, uh, their family or their Wow, friend. that's very thoughtful. Um, but I'm also doing an auction and raising loads of money for um, the bags to distribute to canteen and hospitals. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. They're great little bags. So are they, are they like, can you buy them online or is it like yeah. where? Yeah, you can buy them on beatitbystudy.com. There you go. That's a plug. <laughs> yeah. See, see how he did that? <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> no, they, but they are really cool. And this is, I wasn't like, so when you were going through this process and obviously having some really tough days in the hospital, I imagine, from like a mental standpoint, you were still thinking of like how you can create something cool that could like, you know, help the help the industry or help the cause of, of like a really dark sort of illness. Yeah. I mean, from the beginning, uh, I really wanted to share my journey to help people mm. um, because when I was Googling, when I was going through it, there wasn't a lot of information that I could find. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think I... I needed to share my story to help people who are going through something similar to what I did. But I mean, creating the bags also helped me. Like yeah, it gave me really. something to focus on Okay, that wasn't just, uh, I feel so sick. Yeah. I'm going through treatment. Poor yeah. Me. Which is um, probably a really good, 
Good oh, point, actually. My gosh. It was it was so helpful. It yeah. was just the biggest distraction. That's awesome. Can you give us like just some insight? Like what were some of those days like, I guess, where it was quite mentally tough? Like what were some of the things that you would turn to? Is it be your family, your friends for that support, for that strength? Or was it maybe the study bag, for example? Probably my bed. <laughs> <laughs> Just give it a cuddle. Um, No, my family and friends were honestly the biggest support. Um, I was so lucky to be in that situation where I have such a good crew behind me. Um, Yeah, I think they really helped me on those days. Definitely. Yeah. When did you come into remission? Like when did you start to be sort of cleared of everything and I guess on the other side? Yeah, uh, June. So, well, technically officially July. Okay. But... So I was supposed to do six cycles and I'd finished my third one and then I walked into the doctor's office before my fourth cycle and he's like, oh, are you excited for your last one? I was like, what? I've got two more after this. He's like, nah, you're you're clear. You don't need to do any more after this one. And I was like, what? That was the first you found out about it. That it was, was just the, the doctor just dropping yeah. it on you lightly. Like and that. he's so casual. There's <laughs> like, yeah, a life-changing comment, Doc. <laughs> I know. And I was like, oh, my gosh, because, like, on the third week of that last cycle, like, ugh, it's yeah. just awful. It's like, really not nice. Yeah. I was at the lowest point of the whole thing. So if I had to do another two after that, that would have been so hard. So I was, like, so thankful oh, after that. Oh, gosh, that's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's amazing, obviously, now you've come out the other side, you're back on the on the football pitch. Your story's been, like, grabbed by everyone, which is obviously rightly so, and I'm sure inspiring for me to honestly be able to talk to you about it. I oh, feel like what am I complaining about? So... Um, <laughs> But we spoke, uh, you've been, like, obviously you've been in Melbourne for quite a long time. I'm keen to understand, like, who Rebecca studies off the field. Like, what, what are some of the things that you would do? You love, you love this city, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. I love Melbourne. I think it's it's definitely going to be my home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, coffee definitely is, that, is, you, is up there. You look like a coffee girl. Yeah, every <laughs> single morning. Yeah. Um, I just love the city. Yeah. Um, going down the beach. Yeah live two streets back which is nice oh that's handy yeah. can you surf or anything if you lived on the sunny coast surely you've got something i haven't you? really tried to be honest uh, i do skate a bit but oh do you yeah uh, longboard okay yeah it's longboard like for the the is that harder or easier it's the one where you can like just really cruise cruise yeah. okay yeah, not hard no tricks or anything. so do you have outside of obviously football do you have other things like other active interests like we've mentioned the study bag which is cool but do you have other things that, like, you've actually realised you're passionate about as you've kind of gone through life? Or is it really sort of like football's, like, for you, you know, where you like to drive all your energy into? Um, no, I definitely like to do other things outside of my football time, like training and stuff. Um, I mean, I always come up with random ideas of, of things that I'm going to create and import or whatever. But um, <laughs> this is the one that's stuck, so it takes up a lot of my time at the moment. Okay. Um, but, yeah. Oh, if we talk about just to f- to finish off this season with with Melbourne City, obviously you've you've got a big rivalry with Melbourne Victory. We saw them have a, a pretty good win in round one against Adelaide. I think you've got a couple games on the bounce against them um, coming up through the season. Like, what's what's sort of your excitement about a playing them, and then secondly, also the season in itself for, for obviously a relatively new team. I'm so excited! Like rivalries are the best games to play in the big derbies um so i'm so excited for those games i'm so heartbroken for kayla um yeah she's a good friend of mine shout out kayla morrison that's really uh, i guess really harsh yeah terrible um but no i'm really hoping that our team can prove a few people wrong um and really show what the future of football in this country looks like because we've got such a young team with such 
great talent coming through. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I hope we can play some nice football. I can imagine you are you got a bit more of like a leadership responsibility now with the younger group. Like it, do they? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm too much of a joker and, you know, um, for that. But I do like to give the young ones a bits of advice here and there. Yeah. I So you're kind of like the cool vet where like yeah. you don't say too much, but like you just do it and that's yeah. kind of your way of leading, I guess. Yeah. I yeah. can be a bit of an I- idiot, but I can also <laughs> be serious and, and I think I can give some good advice at, at times. Oh, it's amazing. Well, honestly, episode three, Footballer's Voice, um, Rebecca Stott, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and learning more about you and obviously um, documenting your journey, which you did. Um, I actually found really like a profound experience doing some research on this. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show and um, being vulnerable and sharing it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Sweet. Cool. Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details.